1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning, then I have a great hunt. Deer didn't move like usual. Everybody's got set up in the middle of this bedding thicket. Oh, it's saving this spot from the rut. It's a nice, I think it's a nice buck. It's a 170. That was money. I think it's down right up there. Woo! Legacy Podcast. Bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Coming in your ear holes once again. Another week, another episode. And this week I'm talking with Brian from Good Sets Mobile, and we're talking the OG, the Reg Cam, the non-cellular cam, the SD card cam, whatever you want to call it. Um, these are just the cams that have been around forever. Put the SD card in and get the data, get it later. Um, we're going to dive deep into how Brian utilizes these. Brian's ran 30-plus cell cam, or sorry, 30-plus reg, reg SD card cameras year after year. He's a real big believer in cameras. Um, and he likes to hang them high. He actually developed his own hanging system um, from Good Sits Mobile. It's actually a hanging system to hang your camera high and angle down. He also has bow hooks, GoPro mounts, all kinds of stuff. So make sure and check that out as well. But as for the content that you're going to get, we're going to go into 
how Brian sets them up, how frequently he's pulling these cameras. Is he getting long-term set cameras? Is he using them to kill deer the, the same years that the cameras are out? How he goes about pulling the data, collecting the data, and making a plan to kill. Um, he was also able to use trail camera data to kill a 170-inch buck this year, and I believe he was off maybe 12 hours from when he was on a scrape um, last year to when he was on a scrape this year during the, the the year that he killed it. The buck was on that scrape within 12 hours, and he utilized that past trail cam data. So we're going to dive into that story and uh, and let, let, let him talk about how he figured that out and connected the dots. But before we get that into that, we're going to get into the people that make this possible. Um, first, huge shout out to you guys. You guys have been using the code WLP. I've been getting the emails. Anybody that has used the code, greatly, greatly appreciate it. You're showing support for the, the show, and you're also getting some really, really solid discounts. So if you're new and you're wondering what I'm talking about, Exodus is running their eight-year anniversary sale. So starting now and continuing all the way I mean, till June 12th, they didn't want to mess the date up on you guys, so you got about a week and a half. You can get 25% off the whole entire site if you use code WLP, all caps, no space. Insert that code at checkout, and you can get your savings. So we're talking, you can get the Render, the flagship cell camera, powered by Verizon. That's the flawless camera. Um, it's been around for a long time. I have a whole bunch of them. The, it's got the fastest speeds, transmission speeds in the industry. It's It's dependable as hell. It's got the viewing screen. You can save up to $125 if you purchase an Exodus Render Security Bundle by using that code WLP. If you're looking for a friendlier, uh, budget-friendlier option, they got the new Rival Cam. You can pick that that puppy up for $140 with this code WLP, and that's going to give you a cell camera that's one of the best in the industry, real simple to use, really, really effective, for with a five-year warranty for 140 bucks, so really hard to beat. And if you're looking to get some new arrows, that code can get you 70 bucks off a dozen of MMT arrows um, using that code WLP. Uh, that's that the new tailor-built arrow from Exodus. I got to shoot them all last year. Huge success with those. Flattest shooting arrow I've ever shot. Um, but yeah, that's it. Make sure and use that code if you guys go to the website. Buy anything. Anything on the website is covered. Use code WLP. I appreciate everybody that has utilized that code. Let's get into the show. All right, we got Brian from Good Sits Mobile on. How you doing tonight, brother? What's going on, big buddy? Sounds like you're nice and cool. I'm up upstairs in the sweat box getting some cow burns while I'm recording this episode. <laughs> you're in the basement with the air blasted. I'm upstairs. I got the vents turned off. I ain't. All my kids are too chicken to come upstairs. You know, my eight-year-old's finally starting to stretch his wings. He'll be eight in October. So he's, but he's, uh, you know, but he he's too he's in the far bedroom away from our bedroom now. You know, but he does not want to come upstairs yet. He's too big yeah. of a chicken. So just so the listeners know, I'm sitting in a sweatshirt and uh, some cold weather pants right now, uh, like pajama pants because it's so cold where I'm at. So complete opposite of Cody. Yeah, just so everybody knows, I'm in shorts and no shirt and uh there's sweat dripping off my right nipple right now <laughs> and now i'm turned on yeah, now, we, yeah. now we're ready now this is a different podcast so <laughs> well anyways um wanted to have you on you run a ton of sd card cameras 
You created your own system of how you're hanging it. We're going to go dive into a bunch of different topics um, over these cams. This is the time of year where everybody's kind of game planning or getting cams out one or the other. Um, but before we get into that, give a brief introduction to who you are and what you do, and then we'll get right into it. All right. My name's uh, Brian Rogers. Um, you guys have probably, uh, if you've listened to Cody uh, for any length of time, you've heard me on here a couple times. Uh, I'm a bit, I'm a longtime listener of the show. And uh, now me and Cody have kind of become buddies and uh, I'm just a diehard uh, whitetail uh, freak. Basically, if anybody knows me, they know that's basically just what consumes me outside of, uh, you know, my family uh, is was whitetails like it, like like most guys that are into it. We don't really have other hobbies uh, and uh, even more even more so than just whitetails, um, you know, I'm, I'm hardcore into the public land side of things. And, uh, I, uh, the same, the reason why you guys and your, uh, why Cody had me on was for the, uh, the trail cam stuff. And, uh, I, I definitely, uh, pay my dues when it comes to, um, uh, putting the trail cams up. So, uh, but I've been hunting since I was a little kid and that's well over 20 years of public land hunting. And I've been seriously hardcore running, um, like large amounts of cams for like the past five to 10 years, somewhere in there. So. Yeah, you were a perfect guy when I was thinking of who I'd have on. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that run a bunch of cams, and I've talked to a lot of them. But yeah, with your last year's success I'm, that we'll cover, um, I thought that this would be a perfect fit to to show how powerful those those regular SD card cameras are. Because I, I see some posts online now, people are selling their regular SD card cameras because they're going all cellular. You know, and a guy that's running six seven eight cams i could see that might be impossible you know but if a guy has 30 you know he's not he's not, not gonna be able to run the normal guy is not gonna be able to run you know all cells if they no, have, no. have that many cams you know but i see a lot of people are kind of um putting the red cams to the side and i feel like that's a a mistake by them i feel think i still think they're a very powerful tool to use yeah it's a big no-no in my book man like uh um, I, I, I mean, nobody can deny how powerful the cell cams are, but like I, last year was my first year ever using the cell cams and I, I ran four of them and uh, I kind of talked a little bit of crap on them before, but I thought, you know what, uh, it's not fair to talk crap on something you haven't tried. So, uh, why don't you, you know, put, put your money where your mouth is. And so, uh, I ran them and obvious good things about them, but then some of the negatives that I had kind of thought about, uh, like outside of the whole ethics conversation, but like just a couple of the, the things that had me worried kind of came true. And one is you're checking it like a crackhead all the time at work, at home. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, um, when, when, a, when an SD card's out there soaking, uh, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And when you're getting, you know, notifications in the rut and you're supposed to be at work doing what you're supposed to do or giving your family the time, it, it kind of takes away a little bit, but uh, again, that's that's not the whole reason for, uh, you know, using the SD card cams. But that was like one negative that I saw of running the cells uh, yeah. was just just like <laughs> I'm already a whitetail like fanatic and I'm already tore up with it. I don't need, you know, a giant. <laughs> yeah, a giant up. distraction. Right, exactly. So but anyway, they're here and, uh, you know, I used them last year and, and there's there's obvious advantages. But the biggest thing for me is, uh, like you said if if you're going to go into an area especially learning a new area um and monitoring you know 
pressure and, and all that stuff. Um, like you're going to, you need to shotgun a bunch of cans out there and there's no way that you can, uh, I mean, maybe some guys can, but who's going to be able to do 30 to 50 cell cam plans um, as well as I think there's a point of diminishing returns for the data that is received from uh, like too many cell cams all at once. Right. Uh, then you start to get into the whole, like you're questioning if you're making the right move because you got, you almost have too many things happening at once, you know? So I, I think, uh, I think a lot of the times uh, in the day of information, we have too much information to process. Whereas if you're running the SD cams at the end of the season, um, or if you, or as you go to check them, you can take that information, you know, one at a time or at the end of the season, you can sit there and, uh, really, you know, uh, put them in files and then scour the data, look at your winds, look at your weather, try to figure out patterns. And, uh, so for me, they're just invaluable. Um, especially, uh, when it comes to learning, uh, new properties, um, it speeds the learning curve up so much, uh, by, so like, you know, you go into like, usually you'll sit there, you'll map scout, you'll figure out your spots where you want to put your cameras out. And then you go out and investigate and, uh, I'll drop, you know, cams. And especially if I come across a spot that I like, I'm throwing out five, six, seven cams around a bedding area. And you're just not going to do that with cell cams only. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, you're like you said, the, I always call it, you know, your assets, you only have so many assets that you can you know, utilize in certain areas. And with a cell cam, you, you, you want to kind of spread them out. You know, you want to get the best, best bang for your buck, but with a red card cam, hell, I've put one, I put two on the same tree facing different directions before, you know, because, because it's, it, if you have the, if you have the assets, you know, it's a good spot. You might as well burn two, you know, in that area, just because you know, then you know, because there's, um, cams are great, but there's, that's another thing. The biggest flaw that I think about cell car cell cameras is is uh, you go out there and you hunt and you see ten deer and none of them were on that cell cam, you know, and maybe even seen your target buck and he didn't walk in front of the cell cam during that night. So you're missing, you're putting a lot of stock in what that cam's telling you, um, which is good and bad because the buck could still be there. He could just be not walking in front of your camera. Um, so, and yeah, I've learned yeah. that over the years, the hard way you go, you go hunt somewhere. You're like, man, I'm not getting much on the cam, but I'm going to throw a set here anyways. And then you see six, eight deer, you know? Yeah. And often it's just off of where that camera is. Uh, and then you're realizing like, well, I'm, you know, I'm getting just this small area. Whereas if you have, you know, five cameras to blast in a little, you know, uh, you know, however, whatever size you want to throw it in. But at the same time, like if you're, if you're throwing it on multiple different trails and then you're dissecting that area and figuring out what's, you know, you're getting a real picture of what's going on in there. Not just one trail, I guess is that. And and usually where I'll throw my cells, the ones that I did have is, uh, on a centralized scraping area. You know what I mean? Something that, um, I feel like, uh, I'm going to get a lot of, of the deer in the area there and not necessarily right by where they're bedding. Um, and then that way I can monitor, uh, what's going on in that area. And not, I'm not going to, if I'm not going to waste a data plan and all that on just one trail coming out of bedding or one trail monitoring people, you know, unless I have something really like a really good hunch to go off of. But, uh, the four that I used last year were all, um, over 
like uh, community scrapes, centralized scrapes. And uh, that's kind of my idea on the, the cell cams where they're really good is, you know, where you can take inventory of a lot of deer and see if something is in the area at the time that you might want to go in there um, and go after. And then you can toss your SD cards out, um, you know, anywhere you want. I mean, I, so, so my theory on them is too, is, and everybody kind of has their own, uh, you know, magic sauce, but uh, I like getting the, the cheap cams uh as we talked about before like the 20 30 stealth cams wild game cams um you can do the tascos a lot of guys um you know kind of ride those tascos but i i uh i had i had a few of them and i wasn't crazy about the quality and i felt like i was missing uh some pictures on them um compared to other some of the other cheaper cams and the uh the pick quality isn't isn't any uh, better or worse than the other ones and, and uh if you're looking for sales, you can always get like the stealth cams, the wild game cams. Um, you can get them on uh, deals and actually get them cheaper than the Tascos. So, but my whole thing is, uh, if you're uh, going to set them out and you're going to surround it, you know, and you're and you're uh, not on a scrape, you want to get something that you can put on burst mode. I like a two two shot burst uh, because I feel like you're always going to get one of those pictures is going to be blurry. Uh, especially on a nighttime, uh, you know, pick. And then uh, if you do three, I always feel like you're running the the chance of burning through that SD card and those batteries too much if you start getting false triggers. So I like something that has a a two a two shot burst. That way, I know I'm not mi- missing anything. And uh, then also, I know um, I'm not overdoing it too if I happen to get a bunch of false pictures. So yeah, one uh, one setting that I've really liked, and some cams have it, some don't is the hybrid mode. Have you ever ran that much where it takes a picture and then it take it like a six second video or a five second video? Yeah, that's really cool. So you get a picture um, and then after the picture, you know, it'll take it, write it, and then it starts recording video. Um, So it's pretty cool, especially on a scrape. Like you get a picture of the buck and then you get a five, six second video of him working the scrape. Honestly, I have not even heard of that. Yeah, it's it's called hybrid mode. Um, uh, I don't, I'm not sure what, I know Ex, Exodus cams have them, but I'm not sure, um, about the other companies, but they have it where you, you can even set it on your cell cameras in that mode if you would like, but I don't like to run video mode on cell cams just cause the data and the batteries and all that jazz. But, right. um, but for regular no, SD cool. card cameras, it's, it's awesome. Um, one thing I wanted to mention was, uh, on the, uh, on the SD card cams, like like you're saying, when you when you could put them all in an area like that, the learning curve is subtracted so quickly because um, you're hunting every single day in a certain spot. And if you have a cell cam there and and it's not popping, say it's not popping second week of October, you're like, man, I need to move that thing. If you have a reg cam, you don't know it's not popping right away, and you leave it there, and then the third week of October, it's on fire. You know, so mm-hmm. if you if you can leave those SD card cams that can really tell you, OK, this spot was shit all year or it picked up second week of November or it picked up first week of December. Like there is going to be a hot spot, you know, during the time of the year in that area. Um, 100 percent. And I always say like, well, so I, I kind of have like two uh, kind of strategies too when I'm hanging them. Uh, you know, spots that I've been to before that I'm monitoring uh, pressure and, uh, you know, the food sources, because like you might go in there 
and uh, you know it's going to change uh, based off of your acorn drop and what crops are up and stuff like that. So I, I'm going to put them in places that I can check um, on the fringe where I can go in there and check them whenever I'm going in to hunt. Um, and also so I'm going to put them at spots where I plan to hunt. And I'm generally not going to – I. So I hear a lot of guys, um, and everybody has their own way of doing things, but a, a lot of guys will go in and check them right before season. And that's a big no-no in, in in my book anyway, because I don't, I think that any information that you gain based off of doing that is negated by the pressure that you put on the area, if that makes any sense. Like, to me, I, I it's almost like uh, I would rather not have the intel like right then and there and throw sits at places based off of scouting than I would go in there and see a big buck in there and then have pressured him right before the season starts. So um, when I'm hanging them, it's it's on a long-term, like a long-term strategy most of the time, thinking if I do come in, I'll check it whenever I hunt it. Now, just as an example of how you can like shorten your learning curve on an area, I branched out to a new piece of public a couple years ago um, it was when my uh, my youngest daughter was coming, and I knew that I had to find areas that were uh, close to the road and that had good cell service um, because it was going to be she was going to be born in October, um, like middle of October, and so I had to I had to be on the call and ready to go at a moment's notice if I was out hunting. I had to be able to make it home, right? So I started scouting this whole new area. The uh, and like just blasted cameras all over this whole area. Well, it would, if I had taken, you know, one cell cam here, one cell cam there, it wouldn't have given me as big of a picture, but I was able to completely eliminate 90% of this public area and get on just this one chunk. And every single time that I hunted this one spot of this one chunk, I had encounters with big deer. I even had an encounter with a big deer in that spot last year with my cousin BJ um, right before killing my, uh, 140. Um, on, so it was like the 26, we went in there and, uh, it's just, it, it really comes down to being able to cast a broad net and then filter through it. Um, uh, like I did the previous year. And then, so I didn't even hunt it the first year that I threw them all out. And the next year, the only place I hunted, I saw, I, I had shots at three different bucks. I actually, uh, uh, messed it up and hit a branch on one real big one. The next time it was a three-year-old that I just decided not to shoot. And then the next time I killed a, uh, a big, uh, nice, like 140 inch 10 pointer, uh, right in the same tree, uh, during shotgun right after my daughter was born. So it was, uh, it's it just really eye opening once you start doing it. And once you start, uh, analyzing all of this data at the end of the season, and then using it for the new uh, season ahead, it's way more valuable to me than current up-to-date data, I guess I should say. Yeah, I agree that that data of just knowing where a good spot is, 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 is huge, man. You know, you can just say, I know from previous, this is a good spot. You can go in there and pull the cams. That's good advice. Um, that you're saying about not going and pulling the cams. I've been, I've been uh, guilty of doing that you know, in the past where I just got to know if there's something, you know, I'm going out there a week before season to see if there's something that, you know, might be still edging or still messing up. And uh, a lot of times, I mean, every time that we've ever done that, we've never got like a for sure, this is where we're going to go. This is how we're going to kill that deer. Um, 
You know, we, we killed Pickles opening evening, but that was a different situation. He was on the cell cam and coming out to an ag field pretty consistently, and we were able to sneak in there and hang a set and, and kill him. But I love that. I love that hunt, too, man. That was so cool. Yeah, but uh, the uh, the going in and pulling cams right before season, it's so hard not to do, but I think your advice is – is right you need to hold off and and throw a set at there and then pull the camera because if you go in there like you said you're educating that deer one more time you might push him back to a secondary bedding you get look at the intel that's on his that card and by the time you go to that card it's already too late so um i got one spot in mind like that where it's just a an a, an early you know buck bedding area um and there's a three-year-old in there last year. That's one of those three-year-olds, you know. That's like, oh yeah, this is, this is gonna be, <laughs> this is gonna be the one. And I thought he was bedding kind of in a different spot, and he was a very uh, aggressive sign-making deer. There's ru- giant rubs all over the place. He's probably mid one forties, but he's got some. He's got he's got that short, that short tine fat mass inside kicker points bunch of base kickers and shit going on you know he's probably like a he's probably like a 16 16 point deer but he's got like you know seven this longest time is seven inches you know um that's what he had going on last year uh but that deer was bedded i went in there to pull a cam in october and i i really didn't even plan on hunting that area uh and i in that deer i bumped him out of his bedding he was literally bedded 10 yards off the cornfield. Um, (laughs) and I went in there and pulled that cam. Um, and I already had a cell cam in there. So I already had, I knew that there was deer in there, you know, but where I would have hunted it, I would have accessed it different. But since I was just pulling that cam, I'm like, I'm just going to pop right in off the field edge here. And that buck was bedded right on a little high spot, right 10 foot off that cornfield, right in, in the timber. And, there was, I went over to his bed, there's rubs all over it, and you could tell that he'd been in using that bed a lot, you know? Well, well in my, okay, so in my whole thing is, like, I'm going to throw some figures out that I'm just kind of making up, but based off of, like, what I've seen, uh, 80% of the time, let's say, uh, bucks relocate to a different spot pretty quickly um, in the fall, right? And... Um, everybody wants to get on that early season opening day buck opening week buck and that's great but i i think it's better gained through observation uh like glassing or if you had a if you had a uh, cell cam that was picking them up or something like that but i think going in and checking cams to try and get to jump on a buck that might still be in an area or something like that to me is just absolute like like the the odds just aren't in your favor as far as that goes uh on the damage that you're doing on either bumping that deer and, and bumping a buck, a big buck is not the end of the world, but you're, if you're educating him, uh, before you're, you know, even trying to throw a sit at him to me, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's not necessary. And, you know, you're, you're just fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. 
Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Putting a little kink in the process that doesn't need to be there, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree. The the fact that that the intel that you get probably isn't going to help you one way or the other. More than likely, just in my experience, if you know that yeah, you're just in you're there, just you're, you're just boogering up a spot yeah, for no reason. You're just curious. The curiosity kills you. So, but all right, getting back to to the cams here. So, what are your hot spots for SD card cams? Just kind of a, a few of the ones that you find yourself getting the best pictures of, of bucks. Okay, so. Um, Without a doubt, like uh, I will go in and, and scout an area, and most guys will go in and, and uh, scout the area uh, post season, and I I don't have that luxury because I spend so much time with the kids and hunting and everything else. Like I put too much into the fall that post season I'm usually hanging out with the kids, so I I end up going in in the in the summer, and it's harder. You know, it's not as easy to see the lay of the land and the sign and stuff like that, but. One thing that I always find is if you can find one of my favorite places to put a SD cam is over a scrape that you can tell has been hit, but is not like some huge obvious scrape. And like generally those are tend to be like your best ones, because if it's an obvious scrape, people hunt it a lot of the times or people know about it, you know, or or bucks might not necessarily um, always frequent it. Uh, because a lot of times, especially like you get those hub scrapes that are good for monitoring deer and stuff like that, but they don't always hit those in the daytime, uh, because they usually are down in like a more open bottom, um, unless you can find the right hub scrapes, you know, uh, which I definitely put trail cams over, but, um, some of my favorite ones are those scrapes like up high on ridge tops, um, that they might be, um, hitting, you know, coming to, um, before heading to a destination food source out on top uh, that are not as easily defined as scrapes. Like you can see that there might be a licking branch and the, the dirt might just be a little bit pawed up. But a lot of times it's those scrapes. They don't necessarily come in and work all the time, but they always come in and set and check them and hit them and, and might, you know, just uh, rub maybe just their, uh, their uh, you know, forehead glands and stuff like that on. Or sometimes they just come through and check them. Um, but those to me are some of the most dynamite places to put SDs. And then another thing I like to do is just find where the bedding is and find the trip, all the different trails out of there. And I like to throw them. So usually any scrapes near that. And a lot of times you get it where trails intersect and there'll be scrapes coming out of there. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, the buck on October 4th, uh, back a couple years ago, um, I had, 
I had his bed right there at like 50 yards away, uh, 50, 60 yards away. Then there was a scrape that I monitored. And then back a little bit further, I had another camera. And because I wanted to check that one before I got to the scrape, uh, like I was, I was checking the sign that was leading in there. And then the camera leading to that scrape, because I knew that it was super close to the bed. So if I was in a chance getting in there tight to that other one, um, I wanted to see if it was even worth it. And the sign and the camera uh, reinforced that for me, knowing that there was something in there worth hunting recently, daylighting. I had the sign, and then I also knew where those beds are, so I decided to move on forward. Now, I ended up bumping that deer out of his bed, backing up, and then shooting him after he came back a few, a few hours later. So it wasn't picture perfect, but the cameras you know, told the story for me so that I, I had that confidence to go in there and not continue on down where I did have more cameras coming out of other trails coming out of that bedding area. Okay. So those, those big, those big scrapes, they're great for Intel, but those small scrapes I that, you know, aren't super worked kind of in those remote spots is where you're getting the best pictures for bucks. Um, I, I love those small scrapes in the summer, even making a small scrape like that in the summer in a certain area. Um, if you go in there, you see some rubs, you know that there's bucks bedding, you can make a scrape. And that's where you get people a lot of times say, well, I made a scrape and nothing came to it or no daylight. I'm like, well, you're not close enough to the beds. So right. you've got some kind of intel off of that. You're only getting nighttime picks. Okay. You're that scrape is far away from where these bucks are bedding. So you did learn something by making that mock scrape and getting those pictures. Um, yeah, you're not far, you're not close enough to the bedding, right? Yeah. You need to get a little closer, but I like to find those beddings and then throw a scrape in there and then throw a cam on it. Like you said, then when you go hunt it, you kind of, if you are running a reg SD card cam there, when you pull it, you're going to know what bucks are still there during the season and, and how you're going to go be able to go about, are they hitting in the morning or the evening? And, and then a lot of times well, it's the hardest part about that is the access. Like you said, you bump that deer on the way in and that that's a tough thing in the summer is you never know what they can see where they're bedded because there's so much foliage and stuff or, you know, in the early season um, mm -hmm. compared to what you can see compared to what they can see. Um, it's quite a bit different. And, and oftentimes hub scrapes are right at the bottom of all those points where they can all see you yeah. and they have that advantage. And we all would like to think that we're stealthy enough to, you know, get in there perfect. But uh, a lot of the times they're great for Intel, like I said, but they're not great for necessarily uh, uh, your main, like you, you're going to want a camera before you get to the spot where you're, you're trying to hunt too. So you, you don't want to just have one camera on one hub scrape and expect to go in there and know what's going on and try and hunt it. Right. Uh, and the, those, little overlook scrapes like I was talking about. Um, that was what led to me killing my big one last year. Um, and it's because uh, it's it's basically tucked up tight to some CRP where a drainage uh, meets with two big ridges. Uh, and it's doe bedding, you know, as well as uh, some buck bedding on the point. And especially as you get closer to the end of October, those bucks are coming in and checking those uh, those scrapes really tight to the doe bedding, which that's not that's not anything new, but it's harder to see them sometimes. Those and and when you run a camera, 
it really opened your eyes like holy shit like this thing is hot it doesn't look like those car hood ones like some of the other ones but if you know what you're looking for on your licking branches um and just the how the terrain uh you know comes together right there and that's going to take some time of just you figuring out you know your area but uh once you start finding those 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 are money one thing i noticed this uh this postseason that i hadn't noticed in the past postseason scouting so i thought i'd mention to see if you noticed it so i was doing pretty deep dives into a new piece of public i've hunted in the past but i'm going to put a lot more effort on it this year and kind of get away from some of the other public um and uh i was hitting the doe bedding and i noticed that the doe bedding for the you know, north and south is predominant wind. Northwest, southwest—that's our predominant wind throughout most of the year during the hunting season. And there mm-hmm. was there was two of those scrapes: one for a south wind, one for a north wind on each side of that doe bedding. And yep. I noticed that in one spot, and then I went to two, three, four more spots, and I looked for that south scrape or that north scrape, whatever one I would find second, and it was always there. And that's something that I hadn't maybe realized or noticed in the past. Um, but you know, you, you're running so many assets, you're on a South wind. Oh man, he didn't hit that scrape today, you know, but maybe, maybe there's a South wind scrape and he, that's his North wind scrape with that doe bedding. Well, um, honestly, I, I was agreeing with you, but that's, uh, that's something I've never really, uh, even looked for, but now I'm going to start looking for it. That's kind of cool to think about. Yeah. That's something that I had never, I'd never, had never thought about it. And then the, we walked an area and uh, went back there and walked it during mushroom season, and I seen the scrape, and I'm like, this would be the south side of that doe bedding. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go walk all the rest of this stuff. And I went and walked the other stuff out there, same thing. There's, there's, you know, that not giant scrape, but just one of those scrapes that has a good licking branch that you know something's hit, one on the south side of the bedding, one on the north side of the bedding, you know, and, and pretty remote, pretty close. A lot of times I feel like they like to stick to right on the would, transition line of the thickest cover. There, yes. Right when it opens I would, up. I would take those. I would take those any day if over a giant uh, car hood hub scrape. I mean, to me, you get more daylight bucks as the as the the as October, uh, you know, rolls on. Uh, that and it's just. If you get them daylighting and you get plenty of bucks, you have a really great chance of slipping in there because usually the wind's in your favor too because you can come in from the downwind side of that scrape and hunt it. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of times you're thinking, man, I can't I can't hunt that scrape. I can't hunt that doe bedding on that scrape because that's there's a north wind or whatever. And then now I'm like, well, I got options either side now to be able to hunt that scrape and, and see, but I'm going to be running – you know, I normally run in one trail camera on a scrape close to doe bedding. Now I'm going to be running one on each side for prevailing wind. And if there isn't a scrape, I'm going to make a mock scrape, run a cam for a buck that would be accessing and scent checking that doe bedding on a south or scent checking that doe bedding on a north. Um, and I'm really, interested, I'm really interested to see kind of what the data ends up being um, at the end of the year. But uh, that's something that all the years of hunting you're out there and then you're mushroom hunting and you're like that's set, that sets up perfect for a south you know and then you <laughs> go back to all the other spots and you're like this is 
maybe maybe they're all doing this. You know, maybe that every every doe bedding area has this setup, and it's something that's slipping through the cracks that uh, could really be the the game you know changing thing that I need during the season um, to to kill on them scrapes again because that's the most powerful thing to kill a white a, a big white tailed deer I believe during that third week fourth week of October is those little scrapes like that man they're they're just so powerful they want to check them they're in daylight you get a cold front man you can you can kill oh absolutely dude and uh uh like I have I like I look at areas like a couple different ways if I've ran cameras in there a couple years and I've started to build profiles on bucks um then obviously they you know if you have a big buck that you're targeting in an area you go going after him but also you just build profiles on spots like you were like you're hitting at when they get hot and if you get enough of those spots hot at slightly different times and you and you just start throwing uh you know sits at it in that last you know let's say uh five to ten days of october and first five to ten days of uh of uh, november like uh, you get enough of those spots based off of historical data. Uh, you're either going to kill a, a really good buck or your target buck on one of those areas. Um, because it's pretty hard to throw a set at all of those, uh, if your access is bulletproof and, and not get a shot. Yeah, that's for sure. If one thing that I've been trying to do is I'll run a cam in an area. We have, we have the corn bean swap, you know, so I always give it two years. But like if I find a pinch point or something, um, I'll run a can there for two years. And if I see back to back, like third week of October was really good, you know, second week of October was really good, something that's clicking year to year, I'll pull that cam and utilize that asset somewhere else and just know that that spot's good during that time. I feel like that's another thing that people mess up with SD card cams is it's great to get the intel every year, but if you're trying to expand to find bigger bucks, sometimes if you know the spot is money during a certain time of year, you don't need a cam there to tell you that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If you're just hunting big bucks uh, and not a specific buck and you already have ran cams in the area and you're not, and you're not on public, especially because the, the only other uh, aspect is if all of a sudden a spot has been hot this time of year and then I got, uh, you know, a guy yeah. that's heavily hunting it. That's the only time that on my, like my regular spots that I know are good. Um, uh, I hang them in spots like, uh, where I know that deer walk, but it might not be the best trail that, uh, you know, a, uh, for, for my best big buck movement, but it's where big buck movement might happen and hum human movement might happen. Um, so that way I can catch a little bit of both on the way in. Yeah, that's good. Good. Also. So, we went over your hot spots. Let's go over a, the a quick um, setup of how you how you like to you know position these these uh, SD card cams, um, and then we'll then we'll get into the the collection of data from last year's buck real quick. Yeah. So so uh, a big thing for me um, is elevating them, um, and I know a lot of guys um, preach the six to eight foot um, rule, but I'm trying to get them out of the uh, the faces of of people and as well as big bucks and a lot of guys still hang cameras uh at a regular uh you know you know right at the waistline type thing and uh i've just seen too many times where i feel felt like that uh you know 
it, it hindered deer movement and especially big buck movement uh, that uh, I started hanging them high um, and uh, then them getting stolen has, you know, dramatic drastically went down because of that. Um, and I feel like it really, really helps my hunting too. So, um, I'm a big proponent of that. And when I come into an area and I know I'm going to hang a cam, uh, I start to look around for, um, not just a, not just a tree that is going to get the best pictures, but a tree that is going to, uh, offer me the most concealment. So you also have to look at where the sun is going to be. The sun is always going to be in your Southern, uh, hemisphere. So, uh, ideally you want it facing North and on the Northern side of the tree. Um, the other thing is, is I know that you're getting best pictures if they're, if they're, uh, walking, uh, horizontally past your camera. Um, I like it at a slight angle. You never want it right on the trail because people, even if it's elevated, are going to look at it if it's looking right at you. Um, so I like it to be at like, like if you were going between straight or like straight on the cutting the uh, trail in half or right in front of you, I like to go at about half of that off of the trail and angle it right at the, uh, the trail or the trail. Usually since I'm angling it down, I like to find where a couple of trails converge um, and angle it down because you are taking away a large portion of your area for pictures. So you have to be a lot more precise. Um, and that's also why I created my, uh, my system of, uh, products, uh, what my, uh, good set mobile is based off of, which is there's a, uh, mount that you can easily screw it and adjust the pitch. And then there's a, uh, a laser leveling, uh, like a laser pointer, uh, uh, leveling unit that, um, shows exactly where you're pointed that way. Uh, you're not, uh, too high or too low getting, you know, uh, cut off parts of deer or not getting triggers as well as there's a bubble level on there to make sure that your left to right is good so that your sensor isn't missing um deer and then getting late triggers so yep that's i started using your product and um started hanging a lot more cams at higher elevations just because it's so much easier than trying to find a stick and or find a, a tree branch that angles out perfect or um you know and, and there's there's options out there, but a lot of them are pretty expensive, and a lot of them you're not supposed to use on public land. Um, so your your product is definitely a good option. I need to buy a few more of them actually, because I'm going to be running all those solar panels this year, and I've figured out that the higher I can get the solar panel, the better, um, which yeah. makes sense, you know, for the canopy and the sunlight and stuff like that. So um, I'll be snagging a few more of those. But before we wrap this up, let's get into you know, how you got the content for your last year's buck and then how you utilize it to end up killing him. Yeah. So, uh, I actually started running, uh, uh, cams on this spot like four years ago. Um, and it was based off of observed movement. So I went into an area, I hung, saw a couple bucks coming out and hitting that, uh, that scrape. It was the end of October and I saw him hitting that kind of faint scrape. So I didn't actually happen to find it until after I saw that bucks were hitting it. Um, and so then I went in there and I hunted it the next year. Um, and once I started looking around, decided I was going to throw some cams up. Well, I threw a cam over that, um, scrape right there on that little point, uh, where the drainage met. And then I also threw one back, uh, right where the CRP made this little like finger. Uh, let's see, it's probably 
60, 70 yards away from the other camera, but it's on another trail that comes in off of there and actually cuts uh, down the drainage a little bit. So they actually run the the trails that I was monitoring run parallel to each other, but uh, you know the most they the closest they ever get is like 30 to 40 yards away from each other, and so. I wanted to observe both of those lines of movement in there because a lot of the times you get bucks um, that are just going to go downwind of that scrape and they're not necessarily going to hit it, right? So um, I did that and I would run it and I started getting uh, really good picks of bucks uh, daylighting and uh, also like just all day, all night. And I was getting a lot of even October movement, early October movement from a couple of bucks. And so at first, you know, I took note, but, you know, when you have a lot of spots uh, and you've only ran it for a year, sometimes you think, well, maybe, you know, maybe the acorns were dropping. Maybe there was a, a food plot on the private next door that was really hot or, you know, you just never know if it was if it's going to stay hot like that every year. And so uh, the next year ran them again. Um, I hunted in there sparingly, uh, hoping to catch up with one and, and never did see a buck. So anyway. I hunted that spot for um, three years and never saw a mature buck in there. And there's one deer in there that is at least eight years old that uh, I've had on there all four years. He comes in there daylighting uh, in October, all through October, and then usually like the first week of November, and then you might see him one other time. But anyway, this big 10-pointer I was in there after, um, but also him and a couple of other deer that only daylighted at the end of October. Uh, which was the one that I ended up killing. And so my view on it was I'm in there after that 10 pointer who kind of, who obviously lives close. And part of the reason I think why I've never seen him is because I think he beds close to that spot because I would leave there and he would come in a half an hour later. So that tells me that he's probably bedding on one of those points, watching me come in or watching me leave. And uh, he's just old enough and wise enough that he's kind of, you know, been to the show enough that he's just, he, he doesn't get too excited just because he sees a hunter. And so I decided that I was going to go in there based off of four years of daytime movement and specific bucks being in there regularly at different times. And uh, I was really hoping to hook up with that mid 140s 10 who isn't anything spectacular, but I thought, well, this other big 12s in there and then this other uh, big bucks in there at the end of October. So if I can run into them, it'd be even better. So um uh, and that's what happened i ended up uh decided that usually since i thought that my access was getting me busted by that 10 pointer that when it was raining at the end of the month that i could use that to my advantage and get in there um quiet and that hopefully it was going to suppress my scent too because I, if he was bedding off that that point there and coming in um and if my wind shifted or something at any point while he was bedded off that point um i really didn't want my wind to blow it either so uh, but anyway, went in there, sat four hours and he came out within a day of the year before's picture that I had of him and within a half an hour. So within a day and within a half an hour in the same spot is where I killed that big buck. And I've killed other bucks like that too, within a couple days or a day of each other. And I truly believe that as bucks, uh, get older, we know that their core area shrinks um, they get better at avoiding humans and, uh, you know, start to pattern us. And the one huge major chink in their armor is how regular they are at different times of the season in different places. So for me, um, if you offered me 
five cell cams or 30 SD cams. I'm taking 30 SD cams because if I can get more intel on bucks from the previous year, uh, big bucks, then the next year I'm stacked to go in there to different spots and hopefully hook up with one of those deer at that same time. Yeah, that's that uh that data is talked about pretty frequently and it's something that used to never be talked about when i first hear heard it i was like holy shit like is this is this true and then i even started seeing it and then when you killed um this year i was like holy crap and that deer had grown quite a bit as well makes it even better um but like you said that deer was there so close to the time that he was the year before and um, without that SD card camera there getting data off that, that scrape or that area, you wouldn't have known to go hunt that spot. So huge, no. yeah, huge Intel boost right there. Yeah. And, uh, I've killed like the one I talked about, the shotgun deer that I killed, uh, the year my daughter was born. That was within four days of each other. Uh, the, oh, what was the other one? There's another one that I killed off of uh, historical data too, that I can't think of right now, but um, like just all, all you have to do is think about an old dude. He doesn't, he doesn't have to go to a million places to eat. He doesn't have to go out to the night, a bunch of nightclubs. Uh, he knows where he wants, you know, he knows where his girl's at. Uh, he knows when she's ready. He knows where, what he wants to eat and everything is close to him. And so he becomes harder and harder to kill, except for if you know when he likes to go to that place and at, you know, at what time and, uh, try and figure out that chink in his armor. And that's why I just I think that people uh, getting rid of SD card cameras is is a big, big like I mean, it's hurting them. But uh, I just couldn't imagine not going into a season uh, and not having that data to go off of, because to me, it's like, all right, dude, I know they were in here last year. There's a great chance that I'm about to see a buck. Yeah, I agree. I when when I see people saying, oh, I'm selling everything and just running cell cams i'm thinking man you're you're missing you're missing all the stuff you're still getting the intel but even having that intel on a cell cam you know a lot of them are some of them are going no sd card you can't even look at that stuff i mean i guess you look at it on the app but you only got so much storage on there as well so they're missing they're missing it and like you said they're the more assets that you have out there the more intel that you get of what's going on in the woods the better success you're going to have it's plain well, and simple case in point i had a giant behind my house last year right um now it's in the city and, and i don't hunt it but i i i run a cam just for fun right uh and i had a giant on there at the end of or like the, the waning rut and he was only on there one time he was he was in there like thanksgiving week well, if I'd have went in there to hunt him after I got a picture, I'd have never probably seen him again. But if I hunt him next year, if I was to hunt him next year in that same week, I have a really good chance of running into him if I'm in there and catch him before he comes in there rather than after he's already been there. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the that's the key. When I, I did the cell cam episode of this, like you're trying to get the most recent information because when you get a picture and get the intel, it's too late. But if you get the picture from the year before, you can make a plan to hunt that deer the following year. Um, and that's something that if you see a buck daylight somewhere, there's a reason he was daylight there. Um, so more than likely, he's if he made it through, he's going to be daylight in that area 
you know, remotely close to there than for the following year for the same reason he was there this year. You know, usually it's around does like usually yeah, they become does. really regular around does. Yeah. Uh, if you get a doe that's coming in, I mean, they always come in usually around the same time. And so uh, it I, like I, I know for a fact the one that I killed last year was just coming in um, and checking that scrape for, you know, for does because I had another one an hour before coming in there and he went by the scrape on the other side. So uh, usually I think that they become really regular around does and then semi regular around food. You know, food is more uh you know year to year whereas does are every year so that's why i think those scrapes we talked about in the beginning are so important because that's a yearly thing that you know a buck is going to visit and then once you have the the data from the previous year you know exactly when to sit over it yeah for sure huge huge key to, to being able to get on those deer year to year um before we wrap this up let the people know where they can find your content and then we'll wrap it up here yeah. Uh, so you can check me out at uh, Good Sit for, or excuse me, Good Sit Mobile um, on YouTube, and then GoodSitMobile.com uh, um, if you want to check out my products. We have the trail cam stuff that I mentioned. I have a really cool uh, bow hanger um, that uh, you can use on any attachment method, and it comes with a paracord attachment method to keep that uh, profile really small up in the tree. It's super quick, lightweight, and easy to use, and uh, small in the pack. And then also I have a second angle camera. So for any of you cell filmers out there that like to uh, uh, hang the GoPro, um, I have a second angle camera that uh, is modular and you can make as big or as small as you want. Um, and uh, it's super lightweight as well, all made out of the PETG uh, 3D printed material, which is super uh, solid. Uh, we actually hung 75 pounds off of one of my little clips um, and it did not break it. So uh, the stuff is not just some cheap chinese made plastic it's it's pretty tough too so all of this stuff is made to last and uh, will definitely last out in the the woods with your trail cams as well so yeah i've had great great success with the the trail cameras and i bought bought some more of those i also bought a gopro mount um but those bow hooks were selling like hotcakes man so yeah everybody's gotta have a bow hook and that's a great option for for public land guys or private land guys like you said you could use any method to hang it um so you're you're really catering to the 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 guys that want to go really lightweight i and i uh i went and did a uh, practice hang in my backyard uh the other day you might have seen it on the the group chat but uh i uh was sitting up there just trying to get it to like mess up or move around or anything like that and it's solid man because you actually set it just like a climbing stick once you once you tighten it you pull down on it and then it's set it's solid so yeah once you like basically cam lock it down that thing yes is, is set in there dude it ain't going nowhere so gives you gives you comfort if you want to hang your backpack for, for from it or you got you know a thousand dollar thousand plus dollar bow hanging on it um gives you some comfort you know it's not going anywhere yep all right man we appreciate you coming on and talking about sd car cams i know this got you fired up uh, to get out there we'll uh, we'll get sitting something set up and we'll uh we'll get a scouting mission together and make a video out it so people can see you trampling around out there in the woods <laughs> maybe, that's gonna be awesome maybe 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 hunt together at some point this year we'll see how it goes i plan on being, i plan on being bucked out by uh you know the second week of november so i can just come film you maybe once or twice or something like that that, that bucked out shit's <laughs> overrated man i know it is 
Uh, I'm swinging <laughs> but, for the uh, fences. Maybe, maybe uh, if uh, BJ's uh, not still uh, burping the new baby, maybe he can come out with us once or twice. Yeah, too, that'd so. be great. We need him to drag our dead bucks out, anyways. <laughs> 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 I say that he'll be the only one that kills shit. We'll be dragging his deer. <laughs> Well, his deer is still so he marked his deer last year with an arrow, and so this year yeah. he knows which one is his. He knows which one. That's good. That's good. Yeah, think he's so. gonna be a giant. So, all right, man. Appreciate you coming on. Later, bro. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Got you fired up to get those cams ready to go out. Start buying those batteries. Start getting those SD cards formatted and getting all the updates done on the cameras. We're gonna be going over all that in the next episode. Um, to get ready for the big deploy of the year. Um, but always appreciate you guys tuning in all the way to the end. Love you guys. Appreciate you supporting the show all these years, almost six years in the making, guys, of, of releasing this show. Um, huge shout-out to everybody that's listened to, you know, for years and years. I, I just I appreciate it so much. Um, like always, always try to do the right thing. Try to leave a legacy, and White to Legacy is out until I'm coming in your ear holes next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. Thank you, guys. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.